talk to you about undistracted devotion. Undistracted devotion. This has been on my heart for weeks, and it uh, was a part of the series, and I have the opportunity today to, to speak as we go through 1 Corinthians, talking about reclaiming the church. What does it mean to get back to what church is really supposed to look like, and how we go with the First Corinthian, or the Corinthian church through this first letter from Paul and really take examination. And this section is really all about having an undistracted devotion. And so, uh, you know, we just went on vacation uh, this last weekend. And uh, I don't know about you, but anybody ever have to turn down the music so you can see better? You ever have to do that? You turn down the music so I can see better. So we had to drive, you know, we drove, we went to San Antonio and we drove through Houston and, and we had a horrible time getting there. I mean, our seven hour drive ended up being a 12 and a half hour drive because they had shut I-10 down in multiple places. And we took all kinds of detours and visited little parts of Louisiana that I never knew existed. And we were stuck for two hours in just one spot in one place. And uh, so needless to say, there was a lot of uh, fun times with my wife as my co-pilot and my two kids in the back seat. And it wasn't always the most pastoral of ministries uh, in my car. And so um, there were times where I had to have everybody be quiet and turn down the music. And there was times I had Beth quiet the kids and they have a movie and turn the movie off, turn the kids. Nobody talk. I got to focus on what I'm doing. We gotta, is, this the ex- is this the exit? Is this where I'm supposed to go? And you know, you're weaving in through traffic and people are cutting through and all kinds of stuff. And you know, why is that, that you have to turn down the music to see? Well, and if you know anything about, uh, you know, cognitive psychology or, or neuroscience, uh, the, uh, the idea is that your brain really isn't good at multitasking. We think we can multitask, but really what your brain does is your brain can do a lot of individual things very fast. So it thinks it's multitasking. You think you're multitasking. So what you can focus on two things at the same time, you think, but really the more things you add on your to-do at one time, the less productive you really are. And so when the stress is on, your brain has got to focus on the most important thing. When a turn is coming up, you have to really take examination. Your brain needs to know this is the most important thing to focus on. So even though music is good and entertainment is good, and my family is blessed of the Lord and they're my my treasure. They're great. But when I need to make an important decision in that fast split of a second moment, I need every other noise to drown out so I can focus on where I'm supposed to go on this journey. Uh, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. Sometimes our attention is divided and we perform less effectively. And sometimes the Lord needs our undivided attention. And what do I mean when I say, kids, I want your undivided attention? What do I mean when I say that? I mean, I want you to focus on me and nothing else. We learned in our house that TV is, is something that is not always helpful for my kids to give me their undivided attention. And there are times where I'll just walk in and I'm talking to my kids. I'll just shut the TV off. I don't care if it's in the middle of a movie or not, because why? What I'm about to say to my children is far more important than anything that could be on that TV. And so they know that dad can shut the TV off at any moment. And I don't care if it's in the middle of the movie, because what I'm about to tell you is far more important than any some movie some Hollywood director made, because I'm the dad. And my voice is most important for their ears. Uh, And sometimes it's that way 
with God. We can be so easily distracted as a people. And uh, distraction, by definition, is this. It is something that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. It's something that prevents you from giving your full attention to something. And distractions can be a, a few things. They can be a diversion, like an entertainment, a pastime. Sometimes distractions for us can be good. I, I need a distraction. My life's stressed right now. I just need to watch some TV to get my mind off of things. Or I need to go play ball. That's a good distraction. Sometimes distractions are entertainment. Like the music that I was listening to on that road. It was a good thing. I love my music and all the th types of, I like all kinds of music. And so I was listening to this music. And it's good. But sometimes even the good distraction becomes a bad distraction. And that's like that entertainment. I had to turn the noise off, turn my good music off so I could focus on the road at hand. Sometimes distractions are even hindrances. They can be hindrances or disruptions uh, from something good that I need to focus on. My family, even my kids, who are lovely and I love and I will die for, but their voices in that season, in that moment, when I needed to focus on the purpose of direction for my life, or this road that I'm taking my family, I'm taking my family on this journey to get to this destination. And even my family, though good, though God's gift to me, became a distraction for me to get further down on this road. My job as a father is to take this family to that destination. And sometimes even my family can be a distraction for the purpose that is set before us collectively. I have to know how to prioritize the direction for my life even over my family's voice. It's going to be preaching. Sometimes distractions can be distress. We had so many roadblocks on I-10. That is the worst road to drive to try to get to Houston on I-10. Uh, so many things that were in the way. And I told Pastor Christian, there was one moment in this, this journey of distress that we had and that I kid you not, I, the Lord was keeping us from getting there on time. I don't know what kind of a thing we were supposed to be avoided, but it was one of those situations where you knew God was telling you don't get there today. And that was that day. We, no joke, literally get on I-10 through multiple, we had a, a two and a half hour roadblock and we finally get going and we get almost to our destination and 30 minutes from our destination, the police had shut the highway down again and we're taking people off the off ramp. And I kid you not, as soon as we passed the police car and was the last car to get on the off ramp, the police car moved out of the way and let everybody behind me just start float, going 70 miles an hour. And I'm stuck on this off ramp the last car on the off-ramp watching behind me. Shoo, 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 shoo. And I'm thinking, I'm about to pull my hair out. And the kids are, I want a snack and I need this. And, and you talk about distress. Sometimes we get into distress on our journey. And even that distress was a distraction because I'm supposed to enjoy this trip. I'm supposed to enjoy my family. I'm going to get to my destination eventually. But how I responded in that moment mattered about how we were going to enjoy this journey because that distress can even be a distraction from my destination. Is there anything distracting you today from hearing Christ's direction clearly? Distraction literally in the original Latin means something that drags you apart from what you're devoted to. Something that drags you apart from your devotion. We're all on this road of life and you may be in the car alone. You may be in that car with other people. It may be a solo ride, a duo ride. You may even come, I'm going to call it the uh-oh ride. The uh-oh is that crisis ride. Maybe we're in a season of crisis right now. And no matter what your car is or what you're going through, 
we have a journey. You may find hazards and roadblocks. There may be voices. There may be quick exits. He needs your undivided attention at different times. And will he have it? And maybe there's things you need to turn off the music to hear. And maybe it's a momentary silence from the voices of families and urgent needs of your own loved ones so you can follow his voice most clearly. It doesn't mean those things are bad. It just means that his voice, his direction has got to be your number one focus as you navigate this life. All right, so let's talk about an undistracted devotion. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. And I'm going to read the New Living today. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. And Paul says this to Corinthians, and they had questions about their, their, their car. They had questions about their journey. Some of them were single and had to learn how to, didn't know how to figure this life out. Some of them were married and uh, were having divorce and marriage issues and they didn't know how to figure that out. And some of them had gotten married, uh, had converted while they were married and their spouse was an unbeliever and they didn't know how to figure that part out of their journey. And all of this was kind of compiling together relationship, family issues, divorce issues, separation, childhood rebellion, all this kind of stuff. Like everyone, we all deal with these kind of issues. But Paul wanted to get them on this road and to help them navigate these issues. And the ultimate thing he's going to tell them is, I want you to have an undistracted devotion. So look at this. He says this in verse 29. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, that the time that remains is very short. Somebody say, very short. The time that remains is very short. If it was short for them, how do you think how, how short it is for us? So, from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Listen to me, spouse. Those with wives should not only focus on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping, by their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not be so attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. And I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Free from the concerns of this life. For instance, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and, and whole in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And I'm saying this to your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, but here is the catch. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I want you to do whatever you have to do, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're in a marriage crisis, I want you to do whatever you have to do, not to put restraint on you, but do whatever you have to do that will help you serve the Lord best with as what? Few distractions as possible. I want you to turn the music down. I need you in this season to turn the music down. You might have to ask your family to be quiet. You may have to get over the roadblocks of life because Christ is trying to speak to his church in this season because there's some quick turns ahead. There's something coming. You're going to have to learn how to navigate in this season. And you can't get your eyes off the purpose of this life. That is to get to the destination that Christ has called you to. And there are so many great and good things that can be be a distraction from his voice helping you navigate your car. 
So, uh, you know, uh, men, we are often um, the most distracted of communicators. And I was horrible about this when I uh, first got married. I'm a recovering uh, communicator, bad communicator. And so, you know, when my wife comes, Beth comes in and talks, you know, and I'm on the TV, I had to learn real quick uh, that I only probably gave 50% of my hearing to my wife if the TV was on. And there are seasons and times that you would notice when uh, you didn't realize how serious the conversation was, and you would pay for it later, you know, uh, and, and you would think that, and she's like, I told you this, you know, and all that, you know, like, I'm not going to go into all the little details of my marriage issues, but, but you knew I had to learn. If I notice it's serious, what happens? You have to turn the TV off. Husbands, tip, turn the TV off so you can give full attention, full what? Devotion. Do you know devotion is the opposite of distraction? Devotion is the opposite of distraction. Devotion, uh, by definition, is the love, the loyalty, the enthusiasm for a person or a thing. The enthusiasm. Are we lacking the enthusiasm for a devotion? The enthusiasm to attention. Devotion is to put full attention into something. Distraction is to have our attention divided. Devotion is the opposite of distraction. It literally, if you look at the original Latin of the word devotion, devotion means to consecrate oneself to another. Consecrate is the word we have for holiness. And I find that's interesting. It's a Christian word, ultimately. To be devoted to someone when we get wholly married, we're devoted and betrothed. We're married in devotion. And I'm devoted to my wife, but here I am devoted, loving my wife. I'm enthusiastic for my wife. I truly care about my wife, and yet I let a TV, a box that puts color pictures in my living room, separate me from the person I'm most devoted to. And I think about that with Christ. I think, man, I truly, truly love Christ, and my life is for Christ. I've given up my career, my ambitions in life. I've given up direction for my family. I've moved them across the United States. I give a great portion of my finances to him. I love him with everything I've got. But yet even something like TV, something as meaningless and stupid and idiotic can separate me from the person I'm most devoted to. And with one mouth, I can say I'm truly devoted to this person I love, but at the same time, so easily distracted in devotion. And I wonder if Christ is not up in heaven looking at his church today and thinking like what my wife thinks when I'm trying to watch TV and listen to her and think, he doesn't love me. He doesn't really care what I have to say right now. Surely, I know he's faithful. I know he loves me. and He's a great father and he's a great husband. But right now, he doesn't care what I'm saying. And I don't know if Christ is not looking at the American church today and thinking, what in the world? I'm trying to talk to you right now. Would you just turn down the music? Turn down the entertainment. Put everything aside. I've got some turns coming ahead. I've got some detours ahead. There's a roadblock. There's an accident ahead. I need to help you navigate this season of your life. And while your family may be important and the journey is enjoyable, but man, what I've got to tell you right now is so important for your life. I wonder if he's bothered with us. If he's put off by our lack of attention, if he's finding us sidetracked, and have I reserved the full attention he deserves? What's going to help me serve the Lord with as few distractions as possible? Let's look about the different drivers. So there's a solo driver. 
the solo driver, uh, you may not like driving solo. Some of us think it's uh, alone or boring or, or you just get bored with it. But, you know, some people, you think about the solo driver, you're driving on a journey alone. You can take the bathroom break whenever you want. Man, you can plow through and hold it for eight hours if you want. That's the solo driver. And if you see some little detour in some roadside cafe, you can stop. You ain't got to ask your wife or your kids permission. You can do life, man. Do it like you want. Go see the biggest ball of yarn in America. I don't know. Go do something crazy. Stop at the fence post and look at the turtle on top. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do when you're a solo driver. The problem is solo drivers, single people, we can be distracted by all the possible diversions. We can be distracted and miss our destination because of all the opportunities, all the things we can do because we don't have to ask permission. We can do whatever we want. We're free. You see, the single person was the least of ancient society. Ancient society, a single person risked poverty. If they got injured or they got hurt, they didn't have anybody to take care of them. And singleness in the ancient world, uh, it was weird if you didn't have kids. You were kind of an outcast from your family, like that weird great aunt out there that's talking to herself in the back. You know, like you were that kind of oddball. And Paul takes this thing in ancient society that was looked down upon, and he elevates singleness to the highest level of devotion to the Lord. He, in fact, he says single people should be the happiest people in Christianity. He says, I wish that you would be even as I am. But then he goes on, he says, but this is a gift. Singleness is a gift. He says, it's not for everyone, but it is a charisma gift. Did you know that? The, there is a spiritual gift of singleness. It is a charisma, a charismatic, spirit-filled gift of singleness. And it's a purpose for this gift. There's a purpose, and the disciples heard Jesus talk about how hard it was to be married and, and go through divorce and all that, and they said, man, man, nobody should marry. He's like, yeah, but this is only for those whom it's given to, and if you can receive it, then you should walk in it. But there are certain people that God has given the gift of singleness to, and this is an elevated gift, an elevated gift. Paul sees it as something with supreme opportunity. Now, sometimes singleness comes upon us by choice, Sometimes, sometimes it comes on us by accident. But in every season, God has a purpose for the single driver. The word singleness and devoted, when Paul used it, he means someone who is going to be able to be in constant service, sitting near in attendance. We can think about Mary of Bethany sitting at Jesus' feet. You can think about Paul was single, Anna the prophetess who was in the temple when Jesus was born or uh, come to be circumcised. She was single. John the Baptist was single. Mary Magdalene was single. Lydia of Acts all remained single to be better devoted to Christ. They were solo drivers who had their full attention on Jesus and his voice. Paul even says, he says, man, I wish that all young people would never get married. But if you don't have self-control, he says in chapter 7, verse 9, then let you marry. Because, why? The sexual sin that could come into your life would be a distraction from your devotion. It really wasn't about marriage is good or bad or, or all this kind of stuff. It was really about, he's saying, my number one goal for every person of every stage of life is an undistracted devotion. And if you can be single and fully devoted to Christ, then that's your purpose on this journey. If you're going to be distracted by relationships and sexual sin and temptation, then go get married because marriage is going to help you even be more devoted to Christ. But in any case, no matter your relationship status, your job is to be fully devoted to Christ. And so here's what he says. Uh, I love what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
This is for all single people. Do you know the ultimate single person? Who is the ultimate single person? Paul says it's a widow. Now watch this. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, if you had to paint a picture of what single Christians should look like, I think it's in 1 Timothy 5, 10. And he says, this is what a single widow in the church of God should look like. He says, they should have a reputation for good works. They shall have, if they have brought up children, he says, they shall have shown hospitality to strangers, wash the saints' feet, assist those in distress, and devote themselves to every good work. That is the epitome of devotion to Christ for a single person. It is a person who shows hospitality, who is known for their good works, who is known for serving the church, who is known for assisting those in distress, who is known to have a ton of good works behind their name because they have not been diverted by all the distractions of this journey. They know and they have free range to do things, but their free range is given over to Jesus. It is a single person who is married to the Lord the best. And so I wonder, maybe for us singles, have we been distracted by divergence? Have we been selfish on this journey that our life is really all about us because we're single? But really what he says, he says the single person is the person who has a life that is best about others. Best about others. Being devoted to every Christian work that is God's directions for the single person. A person whose GPS is always tuned to what Jesus is saying. That's the solo person. Next is the duo, the duo, the duo driver. This was me and my family this week. Duo driver. And the duo driver is the family van, which I will not buy, by, even by burdening of my wife. She wants me to drive a family van. No, I, I, I don't know. I'm just not there yet. I haven't, I haven't settled down just quite yet to get a van. But the family vehicle, right? You know, in the family vehicle, there are preferences for the radio. There's the TV, perhaps, and what the movie's going to be in the back. There's the bathroom breaks and all the things that the single driver doesn't have to deal with. All this stuff has to be taken into account for me to get to my destination on time. You know, as a married person, as a parent, you have to deal and learn to work through the preferences of everybody in your family. And my job is to know their preferences, to love them, to care for them, but to get them down the road on this journey with Jesus Christ. I have to care for my wife and attend to her preference. I have to care for my kids and attend to their preference. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff can still be a distraction from getting me further on the journey. There are times I say, no, you have to pee right now. We're going to wait for you to pee. You're going to go into that bathroom and you're going to have to pee because I'm not stopping in another hour. We've already stopped too many times on this journey. So this is past heat this weekend, right? I mean, I have to know the most important thing is that by this time tonight, we get to that hotel because all your little preferences are going to be a distraction for me getting us on this journey. And look, think about that with the family and the Christian world, with the Christian life. Man, we are trying to get our families to Jesus, but sometimes they're so distracted. The balls, the dances, the this, the that, the journeys, all the things that we can want to do as a family, all the things that we could have in pet peeves, all the preferences we could have in this life. But is that a distraction? He says married people are hindered. Married people have concerns. They're divided in their concerns. A married person has the concerns for their spouse, but they also have to balance the concern for Christ. And so that's a, that's a challenge. You see, I have a duty to my spouse, but I also have a duty to Christ. 
And marriage is learning to balance how do I please Christ and please my spouse and please my family? How do I please Christ and please my family? You see, marriage is really meant to be a ministry. And, and I'm going to flip some things on its head here for just a second. Paul says, he says, the reason, number one reason you should be married, he says, one reason he told the Corinthians to be married, he said, because some of you are going to get lost in sexual sin and it's going to hurt your devotion to Christ. So you should be married so you can be more devoted to Christ. You see, but he says, wait, but marriage can be a distraction from your devotion to Christ. But it's better that you marry and deal with that distraction than have the distraction of sin in your life. So marriage, though, is meant, number one, to be a purpose so you can be more devoted to Christ. That's the first purpose, to keep you out of sexual sin. The second purpose, he tells you in Ephesians, he says, this is because husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Wives, love and respect your husbands as we respect Christ as the, from the church's perspective. Why? Because marriage is a ministry. The more I learn to love my wife, the more I learn how Christ loves me. The more I'm patiently enduring with my wife, the more I understand how Christ is patiently enduring towards me. You see, I get to see more of the love of Christ in a way through marriage. As we begin to fight through our difficulties and learn to compromise and be selfless to one another, I learn how to be a better Christian. Why? Because this marriage is really a ministry that's supposed to help me learn to love Christ better. You see, the solo person has their challenges, but a married person has their challenges. But it's not to let your marriage be a distraction from your devotion to Christ. Your marriage is meant to be a promotion towards your devotion to Christ. And I wonder if we've made marriage all about us and marriage all about the other person. See, the problem becomes is each one begins to think this, my spouse is not meeting my needs. Well, that's not really the point of marriage in the beginning. You see, each person gives themselves to one another so that they can stay out of sexual sin and that so each person can be more devoted to Jesus. You see, marriage doesn't replace my devotion to Christ. It's an expression of it. In fact, if you look in verse 29, he says, I wish married people will stood still in relation to how they love Christ, act as if they were single. You see, my job on this road, so on this journey we had, uh, as we began to navigate all these little crazy distractions and, and issues on this trip that we had, one of the most awful road trips I've ever had in my life, uh, the come ride home was great. But getting there, Beth was running the GPS on the phone, and her job was to run the GPS, tell me what I was going on, because my, my, car, my car navigation doesn't really work real well. And so she's doing that, and sometimes Siri doesn't always keep up with her, herself. And the kids are asking for a snack every two seconds and a drink, and somebody dropped this, and she hit me, and this is all going on. And so she's handling this part of the journey. So I can focus on not dying, all right, at the wheel, all right, and not getting a ticket. And so we were a good team. I needed her to handle the kids and be my co-pilot, and I needed, she needed me to drive. You see, we were both working together to get further down the road. The two shall become one flesh. That's what this was about. I needed a co-pilot. She needed a captain. We are to get on this journey. But the goal of this relationship in this moment is to get this car down the road. It was not to make sure that I'm always doing her job or she's doing my job. We each had to do our own jobs, fulfill our own role, and her job was to help me fulfill my job. And my job was to help her fulfill her job. You see, 
I have to learn to share my spouse with Christ. What do I mean? My job as a husband is to help Beth Harris be the best Christian woman she can be. And her job is to help me be the best Christian man I can be. And as we both do that, we'll both go further down the road. And see, when the Bible says the two shall be one, Christ has given me my spouse, and I am supposed to give my spouse back to Christ. That's the most selfless thing I can do. The most selfless thing I can do is give my spouse back to Christ, to share my spouse with Christ. I thank God for every Christian woman, especially pastor's wife, like the great one I have, who shares me so much with Jesus Christ. She shares me on missions trips. She shares me many evenings in study and preparation and prayer and reading books and doing my education. She shares me on late evenings and hospital visits and phone calls and conferences. She shares me so much with Jesus Christ. And that's what makes her a great captain and co-pilot with me because she learns to share me with Jesus. And mine is the same. I've got to share her with Christ and champion her to be the best co-pilot she can be. That's the purpose of marriage. That's the purpose of marriage. He says, the goal of marriage is to help each one fulfill their purpose in Christ. The goal of this is not to be married. The goal of this is because you would both otherwise fall in sexual sin and you both need someone to help you get further on this journey. Married people, how are you sharing your spouse with Christ? How are you sharing your spouse with Christ? Maybe, here's a better question, what are you doing with your spouse's ministry? I know some spouses who are so attentive and need so much attention that they fail to let their spouse be involved in church, fail to let their spouse fulfill their calling because they're selfish and they're jealous for their spouse's ministry to Christ because they think their marriage is all about them. But your marriage is really all about Christ. last driver is this, is the uh-oh driver. You know, we all have flat tires. We all have difficulties in our car. We all have situations that come up unexpected. There was one moment on this trip that we uh, got off on the wrong exit in the craziness of it all. And it just came to one of those points where I just had to pull over. I just had, it was too crazy, too stressful. I was not being Jesus. I just pulled over and I said, I need to recalibrate I need this Siri to catch up with where in the world we are, and I need you to tell me, how do I go from where I am now to where I want to be? Sometimes crises are that way. You see, sometimes you just need to pull the car over and stop and recalibrate, refresh, and reattune your ears to his voice. There are times that I need to turn the music off, times I need to turn my family off, Times I just need to press pause and say, Lord, how did I get here and how do I get out of here? Where do you want me to go in this season? And those moments perhaps afford the most opportunity to act like Jesus. I realized that multiple times on this trip, I did not act like Jesus to my spouse as always I should have right? You get stressed, you get anxious, you get mad. I got to know now. Tell me right now. Tell me right now. This is the turn. This is the turn. That was it. You should have met. I asked you if that was the turn five minutes, you know, and just all these things, you kind of just get angry, frustrated. You know, those are the most opportune moments 
to show Jesus? Those crises afford you opportunity. The greatest opportunity is in the midst of a crisis to show Christ. And he gives you plenty of examples. He talks about people who are going through separation and divorce in this chapter. He says, you know, there, there are times when Christian couples separate. He says, the Christian couples should never separate, but if they do separate, it should only be for a season until they can reconcile because he says, God's will is never divorce in the Christian marriage. If there are two Christian couples, two Christian spouses, they should work it out and afford to learn how to reconcile in Christ. And he would, you know, we're talking about Jesus who says you can divorce for one reason, that's adultery. But he says, even that is because of the hardness of your heart. Because he wants you to know that God forgave you for sin. How can you not forgive your spouse for sin? And why? Because in that moment of crisis, you learn to have the ministry of reconciliation. You learn in a deep, hurtful way what God's love is towards you and his depth of forgiveness towards you and how to work out those things if both people are willing to get back together. That crisis, you learn to love God more than you've probably ever learned to God, love God before. His forgiveness. You probably learn an immense amount of God's forgiveness. And you learn Jesus. The next he talks about is unbelieving spouse. What happens if your spouse is unbelieving? He says, strive for peace as much as you can. So long as that person is willing to stay in your house, stay with them and learn how to patiently love this sinner. This sinner. This, this, this spouse. He says, so long as you can strive for peace, strive for peace. But if they need to go, then let them go. Because you can't control them. He says, how do you know if you're going to save them anyway? But he says, but if you're with them, here's what you do. Learn to have a ministry of influence. He says, the holiness in your life, in that midst of crisis of how to deal with a spouse that wants to pull you out of church. He says, your ministry should be so holy, so influential, that before your spouse even knows it, they have made steps towards holiness themselves. They have gone from angry against Christ to finally one day they will have realized they're more Christian. They're almost Christian without being saved. They're, they're already holy. It says that you will sanctify the unbelieving spouse by your level of holiness. What that means though is your level of holiness has got to be greater than their level of sin. Your drawing to Christ has got to be greater than their drawing away from Christ. In fact, that you are influencing your unbelieving spouse to such a degree by your immense devotion to loving Jesus. He even says that it would sanctify your children. He said they would otherwise be unclean and be acting like your unbelieving spouse. But because you're so holy and you're so devoted to Christ, your children end up being holy with you. That's the challenge of being Christ in that crisis. You need to have a ministry of influence. And lastly, I'll give you is childhood rebellion. There are some times that the kids are fighting so much in the back seat that you can't spank them when you're driving. No, not really. Uh, you have to pull the car over and deal with it. And there are times in the church world where the Bible tells us, he says, Paul will tell Timothy and Titus, he'd say, that if you're electing someone to a church leadership position, they have to be a person who has a well-managed household. And if they don't, they need to deal with that. Because it is too hard to not only drive your car further down the journey or to have a carpool of people following you in a caravan when there's chaos in the back of your car. Because you can't focus. Trust me, I know. You can't focus when there's chaos in the car. And sometimes you need to pull over 
and deal with the chaos and learn how to patiently love children who are in rebellion to show them God's order and authority and discipline. Maybe I need to learn God's discipline. Maybe I need to show my family order of authority in a godly, loving kind of way. And maybe, maybe I need to learn how to pray for a wayward, unbelieving child and learn how God was like that father to the prodigal son and waited for them to come home because see, in that crisis, I learned Christ. And I'll be better for it to get this caravan along the journey. You see, how can you make every crisis make you more like Christ? See, the goal of whether you're the uh-oh driver or the duo driver, or the solo driver, is that you can have an undistracted devotion to Christ. How can you be single and act as if you're married to the Lord? How can you be married and act as if you're single to the Lord? How do you share your spouse with Christ? And how do you go through a crisis as if there was no crisis? as if this crisis is to afford you an opportunity to be like Christ. And how I act in this crisis determines how much I'm learning to know Christ. It's an opportunity for an undistracted devotion. I'm asking myself, Heath, do I need to turn down the diversions of entertainment, the music in the car, all the options and stops along the way, the distractions of even the people I love and their preferences if I'm not getting on this destination. Or maybe there's a distress of a current crisis and I just see in that moment when those cops let everybody else go and stopped me, Beth and I looked at each other and laughed, literally, just started laughing out loud because it was unbelievable. And we looked at each other and said, no joke, maybe we're not supposed to be there tonight. Maybe something was going to happen because there's no way this many roadblocks happened to one car in one day. There was no way. There was no way. I even looked on the news just to find out if there was some shooting or something that I would have been in a part of and you would have lost your pastor. I tro- to- totally, totally believe God stopped my car from getting to that day at that time. That distraction was an opportunity to hear his voice. Would you stand with me, please? Miss T, would you come? We'll just play whatever you want to play. Can we turn down the noise? I don't know where you're at in your car, what you're driving through, what stage of life you're in. All of our vehicles may look different. It may be at different places, but Christ has a destination for each of us. And no matter whatever your stage is, the goal of this journey is an undistracted devotion. I want us to just take a self-examination this morning and just pray. Renew that commitment to the Lord and know that whatever season of life and ministry and relationship you're in, it's for Him. It's all about Him. It's all for Him. And the most important thing is that you make your destination. Father, I pray this morning over every person here, Lord, that they would hear your voice. They would know your voice. They would see that this destination is all about you. Whether you've given them a solo trip 
the God, that they have a gift of singleness to use it with most advantage to the Lord's purposes, to be the best single they could be, to use this season as an opportunity to be the greatest Christian witness they know how to be. Lord, if they're a duo driver and they've got a family vehicle, God, and they would see it's not about just meeting their family's preferences, but the preferences and the call of Christ. Lord, to champion their families. God, to get further down this journey, to lead their families into a deeper revelation of Christ, to share their spouse with Christ, to champion their spouse's giftings and callings, and to, 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 to cheer their spouse on. God, to be the best Christian their spouse can be to share their spouse with Christ, to do our part to help our spouse get further down the road. And Father, I pray for those that are in crisis today, different situations and circumstances, too many to list, but I know that each crisis affords a unique opportunity to show Jesus, to know your love, to know your forgiveness, to know your power, to know your authority, to know your patience, to show our families more Jesus. Father, is there anything that is causing us not to hear your voice right now? Lord, would you reveal that? Reveal the noise that needs to be turned down. Reveal the distractions that need to be turned down. God, that we'd settle in on you.